so they're over there right now, and uh, their faces were really excited. They were so excited they fought over a chair immediately. Uh, but it's a, it's a it's a great place. Those of you that teach over there, uh, you will see that it's going to uh, to be a whole lot better. You've got room to move around. You've got room to do activities and different things like that. And we're just really excited about that room. And that's not going to be the last thing that we're going to do, do to that room. We've got some other things that are coming. Next, we're going to work on the big room that is going to be uh, dedicated to the teenagers. So that's what's coming next. So those things are coming. If we tap you on the shoulder for some help, please help us. We would appreciate that uh, very, very much. And uh, by the way, just a second ago when Charlie mentioned about the devotional this morning, he said Jason did a great job. He's talking about Jason Borowski did a tremendous job, and I've heard nothing but good things. Thank you, Jason, for that. He did a great job. So, all right, well, now that we've had our fun, we'll, uh, we'll get back to our series. We're on uh, number three in our series that's called Bad Resumes, and we're looking at the, the hopeless situations that we see in Scripture and seeing how God takes those and how He transforms and he does his work in those and he takes a a hopeless situation and he turns it into a hopeful solution and that's what God does in our lives and as we've said every single week wherever we come from whatever our background is wherever we grew up however we were raised it does not matter the first time we sin we put a huge mark on our resume yes or no and every single one of us as we approach God, we have a bad spiritual resume because that one sin equals death, meaning we need life. We need something else. And what I want to say this morning is it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how bad you think your life is or how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter how bad you think you stink and God doesn't want anything to do with you. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's about how much Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you no matter what and He will do whatever it takes to bring you into a relationship with Him. And He went so far as to giving up His own life on the cross. And so today, we're talking about bad resume number three, and we're going to be talking about Jacob in just a minute. You know, there are are people in the world who, uh, they think that to be blessed, and, and by blessed, I mean gaining material things, possessions and holding, houses and all of that, that kind of thing. They think that to be blessed in that sense that they have to step on people. They have to go over the top and maybe be dishonest about some things. Or maybe be dishonest about a person that they are in competition with for a, or a, with a job or a, a raise or promotion, something like that. There are those that think you have to, uh, to, to lie and to cheat and to steal, to deceive, to get what they want to, to attain. Because the world says it doesn't matter what you have to do. Don't be concerned about anybody else. You be concerned about you. Be concerned about your well-being. Be concerned about your holdings. Be concerned about your financial future. You don't have to worry about anybody else. It's a dog-eat-dog world. And if you've got to be cutthroat in order to get those things, you go right ahead and do that. Now, that sounds a lot like the world today. But you know what? That's a, to- that's a story as old as time itself. And as we go back into Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 25, we're going to see that story in the life of Jacob. So if you have your Bible, open to Jacob 20, uh, Genesis 25. 
We'll be there for a few minutes. We'll be in Genesis 27, and then we're going to wrap up in Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis 25, we're reading about the birth of the first set of twins in the Bible. Now, that may not have been the first twins on earth, but it's at least the first ones we read about in Scripture. And they come from a particularly well-known family line. They come from the line of Father Abraham. We talked about him a little bit last week. And Father Abraham became the, the father of this great nation. You'll remember it was Abraham and Sarah who married, and God had promised them uh, this, this great people that would come from them. Yet the years ticked on by and they got older and older and older and older and older, well past childbearing years, like 90 and 100. And so they're going, hey God, is this going to happen anytime soon? And then finally, Sarah becomes pregnant with Isaac. She names him Isaac because she laughs when she finds out she's pregnant because what 100-year-old lady is giving birth these days, you know? I mean, I'm not going to say it can't happen, but I don't know of too many of them taking place. She gets pregnant with Isaac. Isaac is born. He's the son of the promise. It's the start of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that goes back to Genesis chapter 12, and life is great. And then God taps Abraham on the shoulder one day and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Remember that? And he takes him up on the mountain. and Takes everything for the sacrifice, everything except the sacrifice, or at least that's what Isaac thinks. And Abraham just tells Isaac, God's going to provide. Don't you worry about it. And he begins to bind his son, and as he raises his knife, God stops him and steps in. He provided a ram. And so the story rolls on, and Isaac grows up, and uh, Isaac marries Rebekah. And life seems to be good. And Rebekah experiences kind of the same thing that her mother-in-law experiences. She goes through a period of, of infertility. And that's sort of a, a theme that you see running throughout the book of Genesis with the, with the matriarchs as you read that there was this struggle for children and then God providing that. And so she becomes pregnant. And then Scripture records something happening that a lot of women can relate to. Genesis chapter 22, uh, 25 rather, verse 22. It says, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Now, that, that's a fair question, right? That's a fair question. So she went to the Lord to inquire. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, because generally it's the older child, and especially in this culture, the older child would receive the, the favoritism. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes as we talk about the blessing. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Now that's a great name, isn't it? Esau. We need more Esau world today. You know, he comes out and he's this, just this hairy-looking kid. In fact, the Hebrew word actually kind of sounds like hair. Uh, they also said he was, he was you see, he was, he was red, too. Now, I don't know what that's about, but one of the nicknames that he developed as he grew up was Edom. 
Uh, and so uh, you'll hear people in the Bible described as the Edomites. That's talking about Esau's people. And just to give you uh, just a little bit of a, a funny reference, a couple of years ago when our church played another church across town in a flag football tournament, uh, our, uh, our name was Esau's Red Raiders. It was based, it was a play on uh, Esau and Red, Harry and all of that. We, you know, that's what that was about. So out pops Esau. He's the head, red, hairy guy. He's the hairy, red guy. Let's put it that way. He might have had red hair. We don't know. But so out he comes. Now then watch this. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel so he was named Jacob. You know, he's like the ultimate tag-along little brother. You know what I'm talking about? Just coming right out of the womb with him. And so they named him, they named him Jacob. And so this is the first record of twins recorded in the Bible that we read about. And so we ask ourselves, you know, what is, what is in a name? We kind of talked about Esau and what that means and red and hairy and all of that. And what a, you know, what a great name to be saddled with. But we go to the name Jacob, there are certain things that, that come to mind, right, with the name Jacob. And so, right off the bat, the first one we think of, what, is, is deceiver, because that kind of described, described his life. But when you really look at it, it's not so much that it was a, a deceiver. What Jacob means is it really is, is talking about the way he came out. It's describing the grabbing of the heel of Esau. The word that is used is supplanter means like a, a, a replacement. And we know from this story that that's what's going to happen. Jacob is going to supplant Esau. He is going to replace him as the head. And so you look at those names right off the bat and you say, no, no good, you're rejected. You know, deceiver, supplanter, we don't need any of that. But then you look into the Hebrew stuff a little bit more and the rabbis would say, no, it's, it's not so much about this. It, it might really, it means more like God... May, may protect this guy. God is going to watch over him kind of throughout his life, even though he is the supplanter and even though there's going to be some deception, uh, there's going to be a, a little bit of, of deception in his life. And so we, we, uh, we, we, there, we, we look at Jacob and we go to the first page of his resume. We say, okay, Jacob, tell us about yourself. Well, his executive profile is this. He's a supplanter. He's going to overthrow his brother. He's going to take over. Uh, his professional experience, he's a shrewd businessman, which we're going to see in just a minute, but he's also going to become the, the family leader. Okay, Jacob, well, what are the reasons that you left your uh, last job? Well, I uh, conned my brother out of his birthright. I deceived my father, and I stole my brother's blessing. And when you go back and you look at the story, you realize that's exactly what Jacob did. There is this story that takes place where Esau is out in the field and he is hunting. And he is, the, he is the hunter. That's sort of his natural thing. That's where he is in his element. And that's what he is known for as this great hunter, this great tracker. And Jacob is not. He is more the stay-at-home. Uh, he's closer to his, his mother than his father. And one day Esau has been out in the field and he's been out there hunting and he comes in and he's He's tired, he's exhausted, and Jacob is there cooking, and he comes in and he smells what he's cooking, and he wants it. And he says to his brother in Genesis chapter 25, well, let's just start in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, 
Esau came in from the field exhausted, and he said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why his name was also Edom. And Jacob, instead of being the, the good little brother who loves his older brother and is willing to help out, he didn't just give him some stew, he starts to bargain with him. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some of this stew, but first, sell me your birthright. Now, a birthright in our day and age doesn't mean much. Because birth order, you know, I mean, I'm the oldest, but that doesn't mean I got anything extra. Uh, other than in extra trouble for pounding on my brothers. You know, but I didn't get any sort of extra blessing from being older. But in this day and age, the oldest child would receive a double portion of the inheritance. He would be favored among all of the, the other children. And this is what, you know, you don't, they don't earn this. There's not anything they can do to get it. It's just sort of luck of the draw of, of who is born first. Who are the firstborns? In the room. Yes, aren't we the best? Yes, we are. Uh, the firstborns in the room. You know, we would be the ones, if, if we lived in this day and age, we would be the ones getting that, that double portion. Okay, and that would be very important. Because not only would you receive the double portion of the inheritance, you would also be the family leader as you grew up. You would replace your father. Just as Abraham was the leader, Isaac took over for his father. Okay? And so that's what would happen. You would become the leader of the family. You would become the, the patriarch. And so Esau comes in. He's starving. He smells this stew. He wants it. He says, give me some of that stew. Jacob says, give me your birthright. And you would think Esau's reaction would be, no way, that's nuts. I'm not giving you that. It's too valuable. But Esau says in verse 32, look, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob, and he sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave him bread and lentil stew. He ate, he drank, he got up and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. What that means is that he showed complete disregard and contempt the blessing that was his. It's almost as if he was caught up in a, in a moment of lust, so to speak. And he couldn't control the urge or he couldn't see past his nose. You know, there's a, there's a lesson for us there too. We have to be mindful of the temptations. Mindful of the cravings and immediate satisfactions that Satan puts in front of us. We have to make sure as we go through our daily life that we're not trading our birthright for a bowl of soup. Does that make sense? Our birthright is of the children of God. We have to make sure that we're not trading anything for our relationship with Jesus. Yet that's, that's what He does. And so He is now, Jacob is now, going to receive the blessing. He is going to be the first one. He is going to be one who receives the, the double portion of the inheritance. He is going to be the family leader. Well, one thing you can also pick up from reading this story is that really this is, this is also an early example in the Bible of a dysfunctional family. Because you have the father, Isaac, who favors his son, Esau. 
And you have the mother, Rebekah, who favors her son, Jacob. And they kind of pit each other against one another. Well, Isaac knows about the dilemma with the birthright. And so later on in chapter 27, he calls Esau in. He knows that his time is getting short. He knows that it's time to pass on the blessing, but he doesn't want to give it to Jacob. And so he calls Esau in privately. He says, son, this is what you need to do. You go out, you hunt something, you prepare me a meal, you bring it in, and I'm going to give you the blessing. Jacob is not there, and there had to be a witness there to see the blessing be passed for it to be a legal transaction. And so Esau goes out into the field to hunt. Rebekah overhears what is going on, and she knows that Esau has sold the birthright to Jacob. And she is not going to let this happen. She is not going to let her husband give the birthright to Esau, whom it doesn't belong to anymore. Because it belongs to her favorite, it belongs to Jacob. And so what she does, is she concocts this scheme and involves Jacob in it to go in and pull off a great deception on Isaac. Because as Isaac got older, his eyesight began to fail. And so they took some, some uh, goat skin and put it on his arms because he was a smooth man. And so they put the, the goat skin on him so that when Isaac put his hands on him, it would feel like Esau. And he dressed him in Esau's clothes that smelled like the field. And so she prepares this meal and she gives it to Jacob and he goes in and he sets it before Isaac, his father. He eats the meal, he feels his son, smells the field on him, hears him talk and says, you know, it sounds like Jacob, but everything else indicates that it's Esau. And it's then that he speaks the blessing onto Jacob. Jacob is going to receive the double portion of the inheritance. Jacob will succeed his father as the patriarch. Esau comes back in. He's been out in the field. He prepares the game. He gets it ready. He brings it in. He lays it before Isaac. He says, I'm ready for your blessing. And you can imagine the horror on Isaac's face, but really more in his heart. He says, I've already given out the blessing. There's, there's, there's nothing left. Scripture tells us in chapter 27, verse 38. Let's back up to 37. Isaac answered Esau, look, I have made him master over you. Which is exactly what God said would happen. The older would serve the younger. I have made him master over you. I have given him all of his relatives as his servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? In other words, all the blessing, including the part that would have gone to Jacob's or to Esau, went to Jacob. He got it all. Isaac didn't reserve anything. Now then watch this. Esau said to his father, verse 38, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And Esau wept loudly. And his father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword 
and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother, Jacob. That's the story that this resume tells. He has conned his brother out of the birthright. With the help of his mother, he has deceived his father and stolen the blessing. He has cheated his brother twice. Yet he is going to be the one that receives the blessing. He is going to be the one who is going to become the patriarch. Where Rebecca knows what is going to happen. And she tells Jacob, you've got to go. You've got to get out of here. And so she sends him to her brother's place. And so he goes off to his uncle. And it's while he is there, he ends up getting married twice to a couple of sisters. And that's kind of icky. But that's what happened. And his uncle Laban is about as deceitful as he is at this point. Because Jacob wants to marry the younger sister, Rachel. She's the looker. But Laban's not going to let Leah turn into an old maid. He says, okay, you can marry Rachel. Does. They get married. They don't have things like, oh, I don't know, electricity or lights. So the next day, Jacob wakes up. He looks over to give his new bride, Rachel, a kiss, and it's Leah, the sister. Talk about a shock. Well, he's mad. He's mad. He wants his wife. And so... Good Uncle Laban says, okay, you can have her too after you work for me for seven years. And he does. Goes to work for his uncle for seven years, works hard. Laban prospers. Jacob prospers. And finally, he's able to marry Rachel. They have children, 12 of them. They're going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where we read about them. They come from the, the wives of, of Rachel and, and Leah. Leah giving birth to ten, Rachel giving birth to two, and that's where Joseph, he's going to come from the two, and he's going to be the favored one, and it's still going to be kind of crazy toward the end of his life. But that's what, what happens. Finally, Joseph, or, uh, Jacob gets enough of his uncle, and he's got to leave, he's getting away, and so he gathers everything. He gathers all of his family, all of his servants, all of his livestock, his herds, his flocks, he gathers everything and they leave. They set out. And he hears that Esau is coming to look for him. That he's coming to, to find him. We're in Genesis 32 at this point. And so they come to the, to the river Jabbok. And Scripture tells us that Jacob is afraid of Esau. And so he begins to pray chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 11. Jacob prays, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid of him. And he's got good reason to be afraid because he has deceived his brother out of things that were rightfully his. And so what Jacob does, 
is he takes a, a good portion of his things, of his livestock, and he sets it aside. And he sends the rest along with the servants, along with his family. He sends them across the river Jabbok. And he's holding everything else back as a, as a peace offering for his brother to kind of make up for, for what he has done. And it is there on that riverbank that Jacob is there, he's praying to God, and he thinks that he is alone. But now then watch how the story unfolds. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now then, uh, if you're looking at your Bible, the heading might say Jacob wrestles with God. There debate on whether it was actually God he was wrestling with or whether it was, was an angel. Regardless, it was a person who is divine or sent from the divine, sent from heaven. And so Jacob is there locked in this struggle on the bank of this river all through the night. He cannot get away. The guy cannot get away from him. Dawn breaks and the, the messenger, whether it's God or whether it's the angel, says, let me go. The sun's coming up. Jacob will not let him go. He can't get away. And so he hits him below the belt and he takes his hip out of socket. He injures him to get away. Now then watch what happens. The man said, let me go for it's daybreak, but I tell you, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. We see Jacob's tenacity right here. They've wrestled all through the night. They're both exhausted. Neither one of them are ready to throw in the towel. Jacob is injured, but he still will not give in. The only way he is going to let this guy go is if he gives him a blessing. So he asks his name. He says, my name is Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Then it goes on. Jacob receives the blessing. He's battled this guy all night long. And he's come out on top. It goes on and says, uh, please tell me what your name is. He says, why do you ask my name? It says, then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Looking at the resume of Jacob, when we realize this guy's a con artist, not only is he a con artist, he's a liar. His life is full of deceit. Would anybody here hire Jacob? Anybody? No? No? Is that a hand? No, that's a scratch. Nobody, nobody would hire this guy because of what he's done. Yet he gets on this riverbank and he wrestles with God or the angel or whoever it is. He realizes there's nothing else he can do but hold on to God and say, bless me. 
And it was in that moment where things changed. He has a change of heart and he gets a change of name. A name that means you've struggled not only with man, but you have struggled with God and you have overcome. And you see, that happens for us. And what we see is Jacob, who we think of as this deceiver, as this liar, as this this con man, this guy who uses nothing but deception, who, who anybody would reject, we see that by God, he is accepted. God takes our past and he changes it. He doesn't wipe out the details, but he changes it for his glory. And then he uses what we had, the things that we have done, to to, to help others. That's what happened on that riverbank when Jacob chose to struggle with the Lord last night. And so, you know, he's got a, he gets another page added to his resume. Hopefully. There it is. He's given a new name. A name that says you've overcome. You see, when we give our life to Jesus, we are given a new name as well. We become children of God. We become saved. He becomes third in the Abrahamic line. His grandfather, Abraham, is who the original promise was made. Told Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. A number of people are going to come from you. His father, Isaac, followed. And then he followed his father. And a lot of times you'll read in the Bible and you'll see them talking about the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and say it with me, Jacob. That's somebody who's had their story changed. He becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now then watch this, let me back up just a little bit. He gets to the the end of his life and he's learned all of these, these lessons. And you can imagine that as he's at the end of the life, and he, it's time for him to, to hand out the blessing to, to his sons that he's thinking about what happened with his father. That he's thinking about the deception. He's thinking about Esau. He's thinking about the scheme that was concocted with his, his mother. And so now he's old, and he's ready to die. And he calls in his sons in Genesis chapter 49. It says, then Jacob called for his sons, and he said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. And then you drop down to verse 28, and it says, these are the twelve, are the tribes of Israel, twelve in all. And this was what their father said to them. He blessed them, and he blessed each one with a suitable blessing. He did not make the mistake that his father he learned, and he reserved a blessing, not, for his own, not just his oldest son, but for all his sons. And so he goes on, and he becomes this, this great man with a new name, and he learns all of, all of these lessons. And what we realize when we look at, at this story, and we see what... 
became of his life. And we start trying to pull out, okay, so what does this story mean to me? You realize that true blessing comes when we choose to hold on to God and won't let go. There are a lot of people that want to hold on to other things. Hold on to their career, hold on to their their holdings. Hold on to their family more than anything else. And it seems like the, 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 the tighter you squeeze those things, the more they slip away from you. The first thing we've got to do is hold on to God the Father. And He'll bless us in every other way. You see, and if, if you're like me, if you're like me, then maybe you need to spend some time wrestling with God on the bank of the River Jabbok. Because I know that there are things in my life that are not firing on all cylinders. I know that I am not always the person that God calls me to be. And I could choose to ignore that. And I could choose to act like everything was okay. Or I could choose to get along with God and wrestle with Him. And as he brings those things up in my life, it is going to hurt. But I'm going to grow from it as God disciplines me. As he challenges me. As he shows me what it means to be a child of God and a follower of his. And it might be that, that, that you're here this morning and you've got things going on in your life and what you need to do is you need to get alone on the riverbank and you need to wrestle with God about things that are going on in your life. And you need to let Him reveal some changes that you need to make. Maybe if it's in your, your, your personal life, your devotional life, maybe it's within your marriage or on your job or in the relationships that you deal with. Maybe you need to bring your bad resume and just lay it there and say, hey, I got nothing else. God, all I can do is lay this before you and hold on to you. And you'll realize that that's the point of true blessing and acceptance. Is when we try to hold on to God more than everything else that we have. And he'll take our bad spiritual resume And he'll start adding the most important pages to it. The pages that say clean, saved, made whole, new life. That's what he does. He takes our messes and he uses them for his glory. If he can take someone like Jacob, who nobody would trust and make him the leader of his people. Imagine what he can do for you. But it starts when we turn everything over to him. It starts when we give our lives to Jesus and say, I surrender all because I can do nothing on my own. He can change 
He can change our hopeless situations into hopeful solutions. And he did that on the cross. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you into Jesus this day, don't go away hurting. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?